and I'd like to voice a prayer for you as we begin. Spirit of the living God, I ask you to fall fresh upon us. Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. I bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. I do bless your holy name. Lord, thank you for the privilege of coming together here in your name. And we thank you, Lord, that we do have a precious bond in Christ, unbreakable and marvelous to behold. Lord, I pray that you would truly open our eyes and behold wondrous things from your word. And Lord, stir up our hearts to lay hold of you. Oh, Lord God, cause a fresh hunger and thirst for true righteousness to well up within us. May a driving passion stir us to know you and to make you known. Lord, I make myself available now and I receive your wonderful words of life. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Turning our attention to a scripture that in many ways reflects the theme of fellowship. Cornelia, 1 John chapter 1. We'll read a portion of verse 3 and and then we'll just take off from there. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 in the latter part there he says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now John the Apostle had been around a while. He, in his earlier statement there in verse 1, talks about how he knew Christ personally. He knew Him firsthand, up close, face to face, physical contact. He assures us this is no mythical character. This is no hypothetical story I'm giving you. He says this is no... Uh, imaginary dream that I've had. This is reality. He says, I have seen him, touched him, heard him, experienced him. I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. I've done that. I know that Jesus Christ is real. More than that, he says, I saw him on the cross and I saw him raised from the dead and I'm here to assure you, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. He's saying, I know him. But I want you to get a clear picture of what he's telling us because he's talking about much more than the physical. In fact, he's talking on the deeper level of the spiritual and that's why I believe the word manifested there in verse 2 conveys to us something more than just the physical knowledge, the human assessment that he gave us in verse 1. In verse 2 there he says, that which was with the Father was manifested unto us. He's talking about himself and the others that it had that great and glorious revelation of Christ. And so what he wants us to see and come to grips with is that Jesus Christ is much more than a physical form. Yes, he's the Son of Man, but to be sure, he is the Son of God. And God is spirit, and they that worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. So it brings us to think about what the Apostle Paul said, that one who so wonderfully expounded and explained this life in Christ that you often teach and share in counsel. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. He's saying let's get beyond the physical dimension. We sit around and we, we speculate. What would it be like if we were there with those great apostles, and we had the opportunity to walk and talk with Jesus, and we had the opportunity to eat the loaves and the fishes that he miraculously multiplied. Wouldn't that be something? 
And Jesus says, wake up, dear people. I've done something far better than that. I've imparted my life to you. I'm not just standing beside you, sometimes far removed from you. I indwell you. I am resident in you to rule and reign over you and to express my life in and through you. And so Paul is saying, we, we're not focused on the outer man of the flesh anymore. That's not where we're coming from. He says, that's why he says, we know no man after the flesh. Yes, he says, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. No more. He says, we're not dwelling on the physical dimension. As good as that is, and to be sure, God created us in His image, and He said, it's good. But the best was yet to be. And when Christ came to indwell us, resurrection life was imparted to us, and we became the best that we could be in Christ. So I, I want to take that word fellowship, which he refers to there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about our fellowship with the Father and with His Son. And He says there in the first part of verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. So He's saying, I want you to have fellowship with Him and with us. And there's your two elements that we'll talk about, the two sides that I was requested to address in this idea of fellowship. Fellowship with God, personal intimacy, relationship, but fellowship one with another, body life. And so I want to um, use, uh, draw something for you here. Um, well maybe I'll just write a word first. You know this word, communion. Now, this is our word for fellowship. Fellowship means communion, at least one of the meanings. It means participation, joint sharing, interaction, intimacy. It has a lot of different aspects to it. But communion, we'll say, is our primary word for fellowship. Now, communion has two parts. And then the primary part of communion is union. Okay, so what we have is in fellowship we have common union. A common union with God the Father, a common union with one another, all of whom are in Christ. So there is no common union apart from union. You cannot have communion without union. Now, I know it's become more popular to talk about union with Christ. And, and so, that's well and true, because that is at the heart of it. But this union is critical, and it's more than a concept. You see, the whole of the exchange life is more than just principles or concepts. It is a living reality. It's a person, Jesus Christ. And however you get there, you must connect with Him and must be inseparably united with Him in that union which comes in Christ. That sweet little phrase Paul uses so often, in Christ. And in talking about in, he's talking about union. He's talking about the two becoming one. 1 John 4, 17 uh, says, They that are joined to the Lord become one spirit with Him. So it's our spirit which was dead without God and without hope. And when we receive Christ, we're born again of His spirit. So His spirit comes into our spirit and we become one spirit with Him. But here's the dilemma for 
all of us as Christians, and for most of Christianity and most of Christendom, people have struggled with the consciousness of union. And it's because it's still more of a concept or an intellectual fact than a spirit reality. And so what I want to focus on today is to help you shift so that you move from just saying, yes, I know, to no, I know. And it's more than just from head to heart knowledge, it's spirit reality, which becomes a settled subconscious awareness that you don't even have to think about because you're flowing in that oneness with Him. You're flowing in unity and harmony with Him, and, and out of union comes communion. Your fellowship flows out of a knowing of Him. It never stops at union. If it does, you've not really got a revelation of it, and that's where we have to go with this word manifested. When he says it was manifested, he's saying something happened to me. I went beyond the human sight, the human hearing. I went beyond the human understanding. When Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And of course, different ones gave different answers and then Peter spoke up. You remember certainly what he said. You are the Christ. And then the explanation given. Peter, this didn't come by flesh and blood. This is not something that you simply figured out as a human, or because you touched me and felt me, no other person told it to you but the Father. Now we understand something. God is spirit. We're talking about spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection here. We're talking about the Spirit of God opening the eyes of Peter and showing him an unknowable, unsearchable truth and making it known. Because on the human plane, it's impossible. That's why people read the words from this wonderful book and they miss the word of life. So when John starts there in 1 John, he says the word of life. Because it's more than the words about the word, it is the word of life. It is Christ himself. And so that's where uh, John is focused on. And, and John himself tells us, even in this uh, 1 John past, uh, book, we look for uh, a statement about this. And just one example, 1 John 4.13 and he talks there about the Spirit. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him. Hereby we know that we live in Him. And He in us. Because He has given us of His Spirit. In chapter 3 and verse 24, he says there in the latter part of that verse, And hereby we know that He abides in us by the Spirit which He has given us. And we can shorten it and say, Hereby we know by the Spirit. We know by the Spirit. Okay, so we, we have many teachers that teach us the information, but only the Spirit can give us the revelation. Only the Spirit can open our eyes to see the truth and to know Christ as life. So it's the Spirit of God that does this. Now, why am I coming on so strong about this? It's, it's because... I counsel and talk to many, many people, including uh, mostly pastors and leaders. And, and here's what I find. They can tell me the things I've just told you. They can say the things that you tell your counselees. But I tell you for a fact, many of them do not have or know the life, or if they have tasted of it, they have never fully entered into it and began to walk in the fullness of it. They have had it by bits and pieces, sporadically, occasionally. But it is not a living, consistent, total reality for them. 
and I see them stumble and fall. I am counseling pastors constantly that are falling into various kinds of sin, dropping out of the ministry for all kinds of reasons. Because as wonderful as they can expound these great teachings in their life and walk, it's not happening. It's not happening. So what good is that? And Paul says, that's, that's the tragedy of tragedies that I, having helped others and told others, would myself be a castaway. He's not talking about losing his salvation. He's talking about missing out on the glory of God in his life. He's talking about missing out on the reality of Christ as his life. He's talking about missing out on the experiential presence and power of God working through his life. He's talking about substance. Spirit substance. Spirit is substance. And that's what he's talking about. So with that in mind, I believe it could be most helpful for us to look at a few other things. First of all, that John says to us about this. And so let's go to John uh, chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. In John 16, 13 and 14, and he says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So the, the Spirit of God is going to take the things of God, and specifically the person of Christ, and make Christ known to us. He's going to take the things of God and cause us to enter into the life of God and experience His presence and power in our lives. The Spirit of God is going to be our teacher. Um, backing up to John 14, 26, He says, Now the Comforter, another word for Spirit, another role of the Holy Spirit as Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things, and He will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I've had people talk about all the scriptures they've memorized, and certainly I started out that way, and I've had my children do that. But I'll tell you the best way to memorize scripture, meditate on the Word, relying on the Spirit. And what he says here, he'll teach it to you, he'll make it real in you, and he'll bring it to your mind when you need it. When you need it. So, we see here from John's emphasis that what he knew of fellowship, he knew at the spirit level because he had entered into it by the spirit, making Christ known to him, not just the person of Christ in his physical form, but the spirit of Christ, the living Christ, the man within the man, the life within the body. And so I think... Paul shed some helpful light on this in several ways. And so let's look over at uh, Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, surely our champion, someone quoted Galatians 2.20 last night and other like verses. Most definitely Christ our life, as Paul refers to in Colossians 3.4. But we find that this is something only God's Spirit can reveal. And so we're going to use the word revelation. Revelation is God pulling back the curtains of heaven and letting us see the unseeable and know the unknowable. It's, it's Him by the Spirit showing us the things of the Spirit. And so I want you to go 
first of all, and let's look together at um, this verse 4. Uh, it's a, a parenthetical phrase here. He's sort of interrupting his thought to give you a little background on where he's coming from. And, and jumping into the middle of that part there, he says, So that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In the mystery of Christ. Mystery of Christ. Okay, what is uh, anybody, uh, any other phrase about mystery pop into your mind here? Mystery of Christ? Mystery of what? Yeah, in the, yeah, in the book of Revelation is a lot about mystery. What about one of your main verses in the exchange life? He reveals to you the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a mystery, is it? What's the mystery of that? What is the mystery? The mystery is how could a holy God reside in a sinful man? The mystery is how could God be resident in a human body? Well, we saw it in the body of Jesus, but then He was the perfect Son of God. And so the mystery is how could a holy God reside in a sinful man? Well, the mystery is that Christ died for us. Christ died as us. Crucified with Christ means the old me is no more. Christ did away with that old man. By dying as me, he eliminated my old life, removed it. And the essence of the old life was the evil nature of Satan's presence and power that he held sway over me. And so he uprooted Satan and replaced with his very own life, resurrection life. So the mystery now is, is being revealed to us and made known to us by the Spirit. And Christ can now come to indwell us. And Paul is saying, this mystery is something he's sharing because of something he knows and has experienced firsthand. He has lived it out, walked it out, and he's here to tell you, this is for real. This is not just some theory or some concept. He's saying, I've worked it out in the most difficult of circumstances. You know, in prisons, beatings, persecutions, rejections. He says, I've been through it all. You name it. I have experienced it. And I've seen God's faithfulness, yes, carry me through because my faith was in His faithfulness and I've seen what He can do in me and through me as a result of His life and His presence of my union in Christ. So let's look a little more at this matter because this is the crux of what we need to focus on to understand our union. We're still just zeroing in on understanding our union by the Spirit as a revelation of what that is and what it means to me and to see myself one with Him, complete in Him. So let's back up. Verse 3. Uh, we're still in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 3. How that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery. God made known unto me the mystery by revelation. So when He says, as I wrote afore in a few words, He's saying, now look, I've already talked to you about this a little bit. I want to come back and make sure you know this is where I'm coming from and why. I can say what I say and do what I do because of the fact of what He has revealed to me of who I am in Christ. Not just, again, as a, as a good concept that I can tell you and rattle it off, but as a reality I've walked out. I have walked out Christ as my life, He's saying, and therefore I want to tell you how I came to that awareness. He says, by revelation He made known unto me the mystery. By revelation. Um, and now in verse 5, to be sure, he 
He goes on to say, Now He has revealed it unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we, we understand one thing here, first of all, which we've already looked at a little bit from John's writing, but he's saying revelation comes by the Spirit. By the Spirit. It's not by flesh and blood. I have not seen nor ear heard. See, that doesn't come that way. It comes by the Spirit. Let's Okay, let's look at that verse. First um, Corinthians. Paul tells us, that these things are the glorious truths of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says there, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. Now he's saying, you know, as good as it was to see him, touch him, talk to him, that's nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. He says, I has not seen, ear heard, or entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. And so often we stop there relegating that to heaven when we die. That is not what he's talking about. He says in verse 10, But God has, and there's our word again, revealed. God has made known to us. He is revealed by the Spirit. God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the very deep things of God. Well, everything of God is deep. Just be assured. You know, people are talking about, whoo, that's deep. Hey, you don't get any deeper than Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you really don't. I mean, he's the, he's the height, the width, the depth. He's everything. He's everything. And so there is no deeper than Jesus, and he's deep. And that's deep enough for me. <laughs> you want to plumb the depths, you go with Jesus. <laughs> All right, so Paul is saying, now look, this is the work of God's Spirit. And in verse uh, 12 there, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. See, when you're born again, you receive something. You must receive. This is where a lot of people miss out on, on life in the first place. They're never, they believe all the facts, but they never get around to receiving. And he's saying you've got to receive. And what you receive is you receive Christ. And His Spirit comes in. So um, we receive the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know freely the things given to us. So, and what's given to us? Christ. All that He is, all that He has, all that He can do. So we know Him by the Spirit. So this is God's provision for us. Now we're back to Ephesians 3 again. In verse 8, Paul says, This is so profound, he describes it as the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He's saying... The, the resources that are in Christ that are now in you are unsearchable. That is, there's no way on the human plane you can figure them out, analyze them, get a handle on them, and make it happen. That's why the imitation of Jesus, the old idea that's gone around for years that the beginning of people wake up about is what is Jesus doing and how to figure it out and whatever. You don't need that. You've already got Him. Why, why wonder what He's doing when you've got Him? Just let Him do it. Lord, be Yourself in me. Lord, have Your way in me. That's about as simple as it gets. Lord, be yourself in me. Lord, have your way in me. That's Jesus being himself in me. And it's not about us getting out of the way. It's about us getting in gear. You know, people used to say, hide me behind the cross. Hey, you know, hide me behind the pulpit. Don't let them see me. Let them see you. Dear people, you are the only way they're going to see him. He'll manifest through your hands and feet. And we'll talk about that as we go. And, and I'm sort of preaching now, but, but we'll do a, more of a, a Bible study the next part, and we'll get into that whole thing of, of body life and fellowship one with another. The unsearchable riches. And verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
Now, now some have one aspect of a Greek word and some another there, but I, I think fellowship is quite appropriate. And he says to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And, and some translations have the word koinonia at that point. But he's saying we, we all need to know what this mystery is because there's a fellowship in the mystery. See, not only is there union, but there is communion. Wow! It would be good enough that we could just be united to Him, but that we get to have fellowship with Him, that we get to interact with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, the triune God, and we get to be in on it. I was talking to somebody, one of you, I think, in the group there earlier in, uh, in the week, and you know, we talk about the Trinity, but, but when, when you're brought into the equation, it, it becomes a quartet. And then if we all enter in, it's some great big choir. You know, it's some huge gathering. But we're all a part of it. And the amazing thing is that we're sons and daughters of the living God, even as the Son of God. Now, this can blow your mind. First John says, we are the sons of God. And he's not talking there in the masculine. He's saying we are family now. We're in the same level as Jesus. Not by works of righteousness we've done, but by His mercy and grace, He elevated us up. That's why it says we're joint heirs with Him. We're talking about fellowship at the highest order. We share in His life. We participate in His life. We're seated with Him in heavenly places. We're at the throne room. We don't have to... When He says come boldly to the throne, it's not like we're somewhere else and we got to get there. He's saying, look, you're there. And the way you come is you call upon the name of the Lord. You, by faith... Just talk to Him. He's right there. Not far to move from you, but right there in you, readily available to you, a present help in your time of need. He is there in you. Now, I know at times we feel as though He's far removed. But this is where I, I want you to see why the importance of revelation of our union is critical. Because we don't get that union that we're one with Him. If we don't get the revelation of that union, rather, then then we will constantly, as we encounter various circumstances and adversities, we'll constantly be um, thinking in terms of separation. And we'll, we'll fall back to that old mentality of, 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 Lord, be with me, or I need to get closer to God, or I need to get more of Jesus, and we'll, we'll always be living in that sense of separation, or we'll be living from the standpoint of deficiency rather than sufficiency in Christ. And so we must have this revelation. So that by having the revelation of our union with Christ, we live in the conscious and awareness that I can do all things. It's not just wishful thinking. I've had so many tell me that's their favorite verse, but it's a wishful thought, not a present certainty and a confident reality. It's got to be that. Or it's nothing at all. It's just more words. And as good as they sound to the ear and as good as they read on paper, they're only words until they become life and reality to you. So the revelation which comes. Now when Paul says, I told you about it, I want to go back, and here's what I believe he was telling them. If we go back to Ephesians 1, 17, Paul says, this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you. And this is a prayer that he was praying for the Ephesian church, which very likely was one of the more mature and spiritually minded of all the churches at that time in Paul's ministry. And he says there in verse, uh, starting in verse 16, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, in my prayers. So, and now he's going to tell us his prayer. 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. So we're going to know Him, the knowledge of Him, Jesus Christ. And then He moves on that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Uh, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ. He's saying, there's some stuff that you've got to know, but you'll only know it by revelation. And my prayer is the Spirit of God will reveal it to you. So He will give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation. So He's going to open your eyes to it and then give you the wisdom to know what it is and what to do with it. So that's, there, there's how the two fit together. He's going to open the eyes of your understanding. Um, the psalmist David back in, in Psalm 119, uh, he talked about this as his prayer. And uh, he, his prayer was that the Lord would open his eyes that he might see wondrous things from God's Word. Verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open, the, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law, he said. Now, we've got more than the law. We're holding the whole book, old and new. So what, what our prayer is, is that, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your word. Open my eyes, my spiritual eyes. You know, Job talked about all that he went through. Much suffering, much persecution, and we know that. But then at the end, he says, you know, I, I knew about him with the hearing of my ear. But he said, then my eyes saw him. And he's not talking about physical eye, I don't believe. I, I believe he's saying, I finally saw who he really is. I had talked about him. I had prayed to him, this, this amazing God, and, and, and I am astounded at how little the Old Testament people knew in terms of written records, and yet how much they knew of him, and how little we who have the written records know of him. But, but here's Job, and he says, but I had heard and heard and heard, and he kept hanging on based on what he'd heard. But then finally, there was a breakthrough, and he saw him who he had heard about. He saw him for who he is. And the beauty for us now in Christ is the mystery is that now we not only see him as afar or see him out there, but we see him and we see ourselves one with him. And that's why I didn't say it yesterday, but my, my, my verse, my eye-opener verse, my uh, verse that, that literally transformed my life, moving me from just Christ as, as my life to being in union with Christ, my life, was to, to uh, come to that uh, place where in 1 John 4, 17, it, it says the last part there, as he is, so are we in this world. And all this time I had been trying to become more like him, or I had been moving in some sense of, of progressive conformity to him, assuming that God's will is that we be conformed to his image. Yes, it is. When did that happen? How long does it take? How many years do I have to go on planet earth before I get conformed to his image. Well, you're conformed to his image on day one when you see I do and Jesus comes in and your spirit is joined to his spirit and you become one spirit with him. That's when it happens. That's who you are on the inside. Paul calls it your inner man. Now, later, that's, verse, uh, that's chapter 8 of Romans. Later in chapter 12, he talks about transformation. So first there is conformity to his image, inner man, and then the outworking of that is transformation. That's the outworking of the inworking. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he would say that these are good works that we should walk in, the good works which were worked in us in Christ. So his life in us worked out through us. Conformed to his image, the inner man, one with him by the Spirit. Now now I understand why he says I'm complete in him. You know, complete means the best that you can be. It means you can't get any more. There is no more to give. You've got it all. You've got Him. There is no more. Does He have you? Is He living through you? Is He free to be Himself in you? Have His way with you? And as you do, allow Him. That's what He will do. He will live through you, His beautiful life, and you get to enjoy the ride. What a blessing. That's why it's called rest. That's why it's called rest. We don't have to work at it, try to think about it, try to remember it. Oh, oh, I forgot Jesus is here. Oh my gosh. No, He's just here. It's just happening. And, and, and the beauty of it is, if we get off the mark, if we, if we lose sight of it and we wander astray, it says, and if we're anything otherwise minded, Philippians 3 says, He'll show us. He'll tell us. Not to put us down, just to pick us up. Hey, you missed the turn back there. Pick you back up. Put you back on the right track. No put-downs here. No condemnation in Christ. Always the pickup. Putting it back together. Broken lives. So that we can be all that we can be in Him who is our all in all. I love you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your life. Wow. What a life, Lord. We've only touched the tip of the iceberg. We've only tasted. Lord, is it any wonder the psalmist would say, Oh, taste and see. He's saying, gosh, all you need is a taste. And if you were to ever partake, it would blow your mind, would be, a, would be an understatement. But Lord, I thank you that we are partakers. We are in union that we might have communion, that we might partake of your life, of your divine nature, of your glorious presence, of your awesome power. Thank you, Lord, that you are my all in all. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would truly open our eyes to bold wondrous things from your word. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, and reveal Christ to us, our union in Christ, that we are one with you, complete in you, the best that we can be in you, that we have everything we need in you, and that it's now. It's not something that's happening gradually, eventually, one day, someday. It's here, it's now, it's you, in me, as me, through me, my very life. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I... mm. I don't know what my time uh, maybe. Oh, okay, good. On, on mark. <laughs> Since I have a second left, I'll tell you a little story. Way, way back, way back, I was preaching up in, uh, I want to say, Indiana, Illinois, somewhere anyway. And I went to the church, and, and the pastor said, uh, well, this is, uh, the, you're on the spot because he says, the church has decided they're never going to have a guest speaker again. They've just been so burned out by all these guest speakers. And, and, and in fact, he says, I don't even know why you're trying to get us to come on Saturday morning. He says they'll not come. And, and furthermore, he says, we have a very strict schedule on Sunday morning, and you've got to be through at this exact time. And, and, I, and I, it, it was a very short amount of time that I had to speak, maybe like 15 minutes. And he said, so you've got to be through at this time, and you better be through. And he said, if you don't come through, he said, the church is not going to have anybody else in. So everything rides on you. And I said, well, okay, but praise God. I'm in Christ, and the burden uh, is on his shoulders because he's the burden bearer. So anyway, the beauty of it was, first of all, 
they had this large crowd on Saturday morning, which the pastor was amazed because he said they'd never come out. But, you know, anyway. and, and also, I was having long sessions too. I was teaching back then a seminar, and it would go like 45 minutes to an hour for every session. And, and they were coming back and even sitting on the front row that never sit on the front row. And then on that morning, on Sunday morning, uh, as I preached, uh, and when I got through, he had his watch, and he was looking, and he said, and you finished right on time. I said, good, everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk more in uh, after the break. Thank you. Okay.